On this edition of the program, we are joined by the man who wrote the book on modern political campaigns, Michael Cohen. Not that Michael Cohen. The Michael Cohen we love. We love on this show. We're going to talk about everything leading into the final few weeks of Iowa. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, January 5th, 2024. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you here in Austin, Texas. And this was a great conversation that got a little bit sprawling. It goes some places by the end. But when you're talking about campaigns, how to build campaigns, how and why campaigns should be structured the way that they are, There are a few people that I know that I can call and get on this program to talk to you guys like we can Michael Cohen. So go ahead, buy the man's book. Make sure that you are appreciating Michael Cohen because you're about to hear this conversation. Let's go ahead and welcome him in. We are only days and weeks away from the 2024 primary campaign finally getting off the ground. We've had candidates announced, we've had them drop out, but this time the voters will have their say. And what decisions are being made are going to matter, which is why we brought on our friend and the man who wrote the book on modern political campaigns, Michael Cohen. Welcome back, friend. Thank you. It's great to see you. It's great to be here in 2024. Oh, man. No, absolutely. Let's go. Especially. Especially after the year you had last year. It is definitely good to see you and talk to you in 2024. Yeah, yeah it's good to be here, especially here on, <laughs> on the first pod of the year. Thank you. Okay, so let's, uh, I want to do some some meta stuff and then we can get into some specific stuff. Uh, sure. From your career and in being involved in politics and being around this world, I just wanted to break down for people the differences between the early stages of a campaign, the middle stages of a campaign. And now, especially for all these people that are make or break in Iowa, what are the ending, the ending stages of a campaign? What kind of decisions are being made? If you were to broadly separate it out into that Neapolitan ice cream analogy, what differentiates the three? Okay. Well, the first group is you're trying to figure out, is it even worth me running? And so what you're doing is you're putting together um, a basic plan on whether or not um, you're going to make a go move. All right. And so that involves polling. It involves talking to party leaders, involves talking to local supporters. It involves talking to consultants. And then once you finally have come to the conclusion that you're crazy enough to run, then you move to the second piece of this, which is trying to struggle for a nomination um, that is really crowded. And that has a prohibitive front runner. And yeah. so 
your whole job from the from the time you decide to run to the time that we're entering is trying to figure out how can you create contrasts with that person? How can you um, find ways to grab attention? How can you find ways to destroy the other people who want the same thing you want? And so there's a lot of things that have gone on between the beginning, middle, before we get to Iowa. And then Iowa you know, is legitimately the end game of the campaign. Yeah. Uh, and as well as, you know, the other fa- the other phases that are coming between there and Super Tuesday of trying to figure out whether or not you have any chance at all, um, again, against a, a prohibitive favorite. There was a period in the beginning of the year between the first phase, whether or not you were going to run, uh, where Trump was still vulnerable. And we'll just talk about, you know, just in a, in a micro yeah. sense, yeah. where Trump was vulnerable. And at that point, I think that candidates decided too late to run, which is why they weren't ready to hit them hard and take advantage of those moments. And the only person who was even close to that point was Ron DeSantis, and he was on the sidelines. So there were yeah. some strategic um, decisions that people made a bit too late uh, to get in um, against somebody who was clearly going to run again. And now we're into the get out the vote, drop everything you have. Um, to get yourself to 50 plus one, if you can. So from, from, from my perspective, the middle of that, especially in a place like Iowa, where you've got a lot of seasoned veterans that have been in the game there, they know the kind of people that you need to reach. Iowa is unique. And this is one of these things, actually, let me, let me take a really quick side, side jag here. I'm a big Iowa defender. And whenever I get into these conversations with people that are outside of politics, part of the reason why is that it's economical and it's professional in a way that not a lot of other states are where if you just rotated this every year and every year it was a new uh, uh, state, you'd be bringing in a lot of people that haven't done it as long as the people that have been doing it since the seventies in Iowa that know, okay, if you're looking for the progressives, these are the coffee shops and these are the colleges we need to go to. If you're looking for the evangelicals, here are the church leaders, here are the, the uh, prayer breakfasts that we absolutely need to hit uh, X, Y, and Z. You know that, but you're also trying to find the message. You're trying to find what, is the thing we we were on this show uh, with the Virginia governor's race and and we had a show before where Glenn Youngkin was running eh, doing okay he finds education rocket ship and and, and it led him yeah. and, and and it led him to 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 the governorship so I think it's safe to say unless you would disagree with me that nobody in Iowa or really anywhere else has been able to find a defining issue that isn't Donald Trump. Even arguments of electability are about Trump. Like there, there's nothing that rises above it. And part of that, I don't even know if it's their fault because the man got indicted four times and you kind of have to have an opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, I think the fundamental misunderstanding about this election um, is that there are two incumbents. Yeah. There is a there yeah. is a Republican incumbent and there's a Democratic incumbent. Neither one of them claim that they lost in 2020. Nope. Okay, and so if you are if you have lost and politics nothing teaches like losing, then you're probably off the off the board for 2020. Trump, and for all the reasons that he decides not to go ahead and, and concede the race, 
One of them clearly is to leave an open door to come back this round and say to people, well, you know, we all got hosed. Yeah. The, the one strategic decision that you have to make if you're going to run against that person is, can you get Iowans to believe that Trump lost? Yeah. If you can't, in that first group of t- uh, periods that we were just talking about, if you can't find a message that connects that, that list right there, there's no reason to run. I mean, there's legitimately no reason to run. If you look at who didn't run, Marco Rubio didn't run, Ted Cruz didn't run, because they understand very clearly that this was Trump's to lose. And barring a health event, there was going to be no reason why or a, an in-jail event. And even if yeah. an in-jail event happens, they're probably still going to vote for him because they want to vote for him because they don't believe he lost. And this is the revenge campaign. Well, and what we found out is that they believe he's the incumbent, regardless of exactly how much uh, they believe he, he he took the L. They believe they want to run it back, that that at the right. very least, 2020 was an anomaly election. And I think that we could all probably say that it was with with COVID. Sure. But more than that, and this is something and I swear we're going to get to this endgame conversation that I've been fascinated by is I got it when Trump's indictments drove up his poll numbers in the Republican primary. Absolutely. But we have enough it's a, it's evidence. But we have enough evidence right now that it's bumped him up in general election polling. He was not beating Biden in these swing states. Uh, and, and we can get into exactly how much we believe in some of those polls in a second. But uh, yeah, that's there seems to be a broad base movement of people who believe that these indictments are at the very least not disqualifying, if not a sign that maybe we should be defending him or we should be giving him another chance, which is was certainly outside my bingo card when we when we when we started tooling this up in 2022. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think, you know, coming out of 2022, Trump is weakened because he of all the endorsements he that lost. Yep. Um, you know there was a lot of um, talk about abortion and his responsible for uh, responsibility for it. So there was an opening, um, but as it turns out, the opening was closed as soon as he was attacked. Because yeah. what happens is is that there's a thing in Republican primaries right now where if you attack Trump, you're attacking me. And yeah. you know even though we sort of like wince sometimes when you hear Trump saying, "Well, they're." They're coming after you. I'm just in the way. Yeah. That message resonates. Okay. Yes. So if you're talking about message, Trump figured out his message. His message has always been, they're coming after you. I'm just in your way. Going back to Hillary's um, comments about deplorables. Yes. Okay. So that that's a through line all through his political life. And so, you know, that's where you are on the Trump side. If you're looking at the Biden side, I think the biggest problem with Biden right now is that his base has abandoned him. Yeah. And he, and not only that, but if there is a base for him in the, in the squishy middle, they're the ones who you're not going to be able to pick up until the end of the campaign anyway in polling because they haven't seen the comparisons. They'll make the choice based upon what happens. But you're talking roughly 5 to 10, 10% max in the middle. But the narrative on Biden has been bad since Afghanistan. Yes. And now we're, you know, I mean, no matter what he does, whether – the economy recovers, jobs are better. I mean, anything you look at, it's still not great because Biden screwed up this, Biden screwed up that. 
And so there's a lot of, and right now the young progressives are angry about his point of Gaza, view on Israel yeah. and Gaza. And so, you know, there's a lot, and you know, he hasn't delivered on student loans for through no fault of his own, but there's a lot of things here that, you know, tee up to angst. So what you're going to see the Biden people do is understand, okay, fine. I can't run a positive campaign. I've wanted to run a positive campaign. I'm going to have to run negative at um, Trump. And you see him starting to line up the beginnings of his campaign, which is we're going to go to Gettysburg. We're going to go to all these places where terrible things happened. I'm going to remind you of the bad guy. And so this is going to be an orange man, bad um, election on his side. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. Let, 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 yeah. Let's get to Iowa here. The reason why I wanted to talk about the end game moves, smart end game moves, what you can get away with, uh, what you can't, is the DeSantis campaign, which by all indications that we have from the outside is in trouble. They have made more headlines for inside, shakeups. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They They've... Yeah. They are almost Kamala Harris-esque in the fact that they have made more headlines about internal strife than they had about positive poll numbers. Uh, the only person who's had worse press is Jeff Rowe, who's the head of Axiom Strategies, who's the head of um, Never Back Down. And they're getting ready not only to back down, but to like go down the tank. I mean, they're done. Well, and, and have just milled through a gigantic stockpile of cash, which, which that is, that is something that when, when, when the, when the obits are written about this campaign, the price tag on it is going to be staggering. Yeah. It's that being be said, Bush like, yeah. Yeah. That being said, they released an ad in Iowa. That is a soft focus Casey DeSantis, Ron's wife, a cancer survivor ad. Now, one might say that's an effective ad. And I would say it is. But it was an effective ad in July. It was an effective ad in, in March. It, it was it was a a, a it was an effective know, we, we, ad in January. Yes. Okay? Right after the election, everyone comes back from the break. All of a sudden you're introduced to your potential first lady a cancer survivor, a mom, and definitely a much more um, attractive candidate than, than yeah. Phil, yeah, attractive candidate than, than the candidate. And I'm not saying, you know, physicality. I'm, I'm saying, you know, she comes across really well. She comes across as normal um, and would have been a great introduction to and a surrogate for Ron. Um, but this is stuff that should have happened months ago. And what, yeah. what it seems to me is happening is they're, they've decided, okay, well, nothing's working. So just throw everything at it. And, yeah. you know, Ron, Ron's wife is angry. So let's put her on an ad, you know, that's, that's, that's what it smells like get done. Yeah. That's what it smells like to me. It, it, you know, yeah, there was that, a quote from, from one of the pre-mortems that came out. I think it was the Maggie Haberman one that, that said that yeah. this is now a hospice campaign, that this is about making the patient comfortable. Patient feel and, comfortable. Yeah. And that it's like, that is, a, it's a very, it's a hallmark of that is like, eh, make Casey happy. Let's, let's yep. throw her ad. It works in Florida. Out, you know, yeah. with our best shot. Yep. And it, it, yeah, cause none of the negativity worked. They haven't really been able to take anything out of Haley taking nothing out of Trump because Ron didn't really want to go at Trump. And then when he did, it was too late. Um, you know, you're in a, you're in a situation where you have no strategy. And so now yeah. you're just following on with tactics, 
you know, of, okay, just remember me four years from now that I wasn't a total asshole, you know, and well, you kind of were. And, you know, we met you. That's what I was all about is actually meeting you. That's one of the reasons why Ron failed was because Ron went to 99 counties. It it wasn't the wrong strategy to send a candidate there. But when you go to 99 places and 99 people don't like you, you end up with 99 problems. And the problem Mm -hmm. is the candidate. Yeah. Uh, If you were to do it again, let's say you have a time machine, you walk into the DeSantis, the, the desolate DeSantis campaign, and you say, I, Michael Cohen, am in possession of a time machine and I will go back in time and I will help you now with, with the benefit of hindsight. What would, what would you have done? Don't run. <laughs> Literally don't. don't run until 28. Don't run because you have no way of beating Trump unless you yeah. are willing and yeah. able to go at him every single time because you have to draw the contrast of this guy's a loser. And if yeah. you don't think that you can make that argument and you could win that argument, no reason to run. Save your money. Spend four more years in Florida, pile up a bunch more accomplishments. Be, 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 be a super surrogate, a super surrogate for Trump. He would have been the number right. one hand right of the king. Go to yeah. ninety-nine counties for Trump. Yeah. yeah, you know, do do the thing where if you decide if you can't beat him, join him, and just deal with it, and then be the guy that Trump wants in twenty twenty-eight because he was a loyal soldier. That's what I would say to, to DeSantis. I would probably yeah. have said that to pretty much everybody. Um, but if you were dead set on running, go January, spend January in Iowa. Don't spend, you know, September, October, November, December, and then the following January in Iowa. Yeah. Spend January in Iowa listening, understanding what you think might be reasons why Trump didn't execute what he wanted to and say, these are the things that we're going to do differently, you know, and then find a reason to run before you run. There used to be a time where in campaigns you would test the waters. Yeah. And you it's an actual technical term in FEC lingo, you know, Federal Elections Commission lingo, where you have decided that you are not going to announce, but you're willing to spend some money to test the waters. You do that with polling and you do that with travel. Instead, what we've gotten to is that when they get to the testing the waters phase, they've already said basically that they're in and they're just going to do this to set up the super PAC. You should actually, if you're going to go after an incumbent, test the waters quietly before you go in so that you don't blow your real chance, which may be four years from now. And don't forget, Trump's old and DeSantis isn't, and neither is Nikki Haley. Yeah. Tell me about these campaign memos. These are these are a big thing now, especially in terms of, you know, obviously campaigns are about crafting your narrative uh, uh, in terms of all the the outward stuff. And so these campaign memos tend to be the 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 under the hood, like behind the scenes. uh, uh, You actually have to tell the truth because you're mostly talking to donors or or people that are have skin in the game and don't want a bunch of rah rah campaign material. Uh, Who who writes these? And and who gets sent them? How do you decide whether or not they are public or you just have to understand that somebody's going to leak it to somebody? It is amazing to me how many times people who have been in the business and should know better that they put stuff out there on, you know, Dropbox or somewhere else, not realizing that someone's going to get it. 
Yeah. If it's in, if it's on paper, someone's going to get it. So that's the first rule of thumb. If you write something down, you have to imagine that someone's going to get it either because they leak it or they found it or through, yeah. you know, the other bucket of things, which would be nefarious, but you know, in campaigns, all, all is fair and love war yeah. campaigns. So yeah. Who writes these things? Generally, at the strategic level, you have polling. So the pollsters and the you know analysts will start putting together their thoughts and how they see the race shaping up. What are your positives? What are their negatives? What should you say about yourself? What do you think they're going to say about them? And then when you put that into written form, the first person who reads it is the candidate. And then, of course, the candidate's spouse and the candidate's family. Um, so their kitchen cabinet is the first group of people who will see a memo like this. And generally, it's at the beginning of a campaign, but it can happen anytime during the campaign about you know what we should do strategically or tactically as you're going through yeah. the campaign. Then what you do is once the candidate signs off on whatever's there, you, th- you then put together a group of them memos that you would feel comfortable going to different audiences fundraisers, um, you know, people who give you money, um, stuff you would want to leak to the public so that it can go to the super PAC, stuff that you would want the opposition to see definitely. Sometimes you're trying to run, you know, a campaign and you want to give them a little bit of a head fake. And then in other situations, you want to give certain journalists some insight into your campaign. A gift. a, A gift so that they will give you better coverage or that they will at least cover you at all. Um, so there's a number of different ways these memos get written, but generally they get written by the te- the polling team or the strat, and then that rolls up to the strategy team. And then once they feel good about it, it then goes to the candidate. And then once they feel good about it, then they decide what version of will go to which audience. And so there's usually you know two or three or four steps before you know someone will read it in a Maggie Haberman piece. So I, I ask you that to ask you this. The Trump campaign this week did a public memo, which is interesting, not only in the Trump, uh, 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 the, all the other memos are written kind of like business topics where, where you're, you're, you're kind of, they're written like you're asking for money because you are, because a lot of these are going to are. donors, right? Because right? donors are looking at it or prospective donors might read it. The Trump ones are always, are written in the Trump vernacular. So it like it uses phrases like DeSanctis is polling at 16 as, as opposed to Ron DeSantis. Right. But they referred to the path of their uh, right now prohibitive favorite nominee as Iowa. It's a battle for second place. The media is going to make a big deal about that. I think that that's probably a fairly sober and correct assessment of what's going to happen. Sure. And then they said the reason why is because the media is going to make New Hampshire the flavor of the week. The flavor of the week. Now, it set off some alarm bells for New Hampshire. That's exactly what it, that's exactly what I read that as. They're minimizing New Hampshire, which normally, especially the Trump campaign spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort in New Hampshire. They very much believe that they can win New Hampshire. I think that they are right they now still New Hampshire. Right. Yes. They've won it in the past. They lost Iowa, won New Hampshire. It springboarded into the nomination. Why does one say flavor of the week there? You say flavor of the week because you're trying to tamper down expectations. So in other words, like let's say Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire. 
Yes. That's going to detonate like a nuclear bomb. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. Trump is beatable. And now we're going to South Carolina, which is where Nikki Haley was governor, a successful yeah. governor and a popular governor. That's going to be the narrative. So they're trying to pre-narrate, you know, narrate for the audiences that might worry about what might happen in New Hampshire. So they're going to elevate Iowa and say New Hampshire is just whatever. You know, the governor there hates Trump, right? Yeah. And, you know, the governor hates me in, in Iowa, but even they couldn't stop me there. But New Hampshire, eh, whatever, you know, they voted for McCain. Remember him? Remember mm-hmm. President McCain? I'm yeah. sure that's going to happen too. You know, so so if he wins or loses by two or three points, that's the story that they're going to say. And they're going to roll into South Carolina where they're going to tell you that he's up by a bunch of points and he's going to embarrass Nikki Haley and she should get out anyway because she doesn't want to lose her home state and blow up her chances for 28. And so they're going to put downward pressure on her because by that time, DeSantis will be done. Whether he knows it or not, he's going to be yes. done. Yes, I think he's done. He's 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 dead man he's done walking now. Iowa. Yeah. And, yeah, I and, mean, he's dead now. He's, yeah. It's basically the sixth sense campaign. You know, he is, you know, he, he doesn't know he's dead, but he is dead. I, uh, uh, whenever I go to Iowa and I will be in Iowa this time, I always go to the campaign that I think is going to quit. I don't go to the favorite. I always go to the one that I think is going to quit because that's going to be the better news. And I can always just get the, the quotes from the winner somewhere else. Sure. They'll talk to you. De- yeah. DeSantis is DeSantis is the number one. He's he is he is the number one place that I will be. I will be there in the press pen for DeSantis because I think that's that's going to be that's going to be the time that he uh, that he that he drops Based out. How he does it, how he does it, and and uh, uh, when he does it, it's going to be interesting. Trump. It's the only play. It is. He right? drops and endorses yeah. Trump. Right. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We are out on the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. Going to several holiday inns. I don't know if it's in the Hotels.com search when I go. I, I am mostly booking my cards through Hertz. I didn't mean any of this to rhyme. I'm on the road in Iowa. I'm on the road in New Hampshire. I'm on the road in Vegas. I'm on the road in South Kakalaki. And it's all because of you. Nobody else on the planet does this. Everybody gets paid to go out there and be in the trenches. I live for it. I'm built for it. I do it because you guys demand it. And if you want to keep demanding it, well, it's only one way to do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level. You'll get two bonus episodes each and every week. There's also some other options there. This is the season. Get on the Donors Club. You got a little bit of extra scratch? You want to make sure that your name appears at the beginning of each and every one of these episodes? Well, Donors Club is there for you. You can also get in on the uh, Titanic $10 tier at the end of the show. Up to you. Up to you. 
But in the meanwhile, let's read about some stories we didn't get a chance to talk about. A group of President Joe Biden's campaign aides have expressed disagreement with his stance on the Israel-Hamas conflict. In a letter, 17 current Biden campaign staffers have called on the president to advocate for a permanent ceasefire in the ongoing conflict. They assert that supporting the ongoing violence, which has resulted in over 20,000 Palestinian deaths, including 8,200 children, is morally and electorally indefensible. The letter, posted anonymously on Medium, also urges Biden to stop unconditional military aid to Israel and calls for a de-escalation in the region, including the release of hostages. This letter highlights growing internal divisions within the Democratic Party and President Biden's team over handling the Israel-Hamas conflict. Previously, similar letters, often anonymous, have been circulated, including one signed by over 500 political appointees and staff members from various governmental organizations and another by over 500 alumni of Biden's 2020 presidential campaign. Despite this, a campaign official reiterated Biden's firm stance on Israel's right to self-defense following the October 7th terrorist attack, while emphasizing Biden's commitment to trust building among Jewish, Muslim and Palestinian communities in America. The staffer behind the latest letter, who spoke to the West Wing playbook under anonymity due to fear of backlash, expressed their actions as stemming from moral responsibility and concern over Biden's electoral prospects. They believe that Biden's current stance could alienate voters and hope that advocating for a ceasefire will align with Biden's values and improve his public perception. Despite criticism from the party operatives who argue that aid should support their politicians' position, these staffers feel compelled to speak out, motivated by Biden's own past statements on human rights. Fire the 17 youngest staffers right now. (laughs) <laughs> the second that it's medium, I just like, all right, everybody, let's go through all of your employment paperwork. We're going to go from uh, the one who was born closest to today, and then I'm going to get 17 down, and then we're just going to move on. We're going to move on. This is mutiny. And even worse, it's anonymous mutiny. Now, look, you can stand wherever you stand on this conflict. There are many, many, many well-intentioned, reasoned, and empathetic arguments to be made on probably anything that happens in the Middle East, but specifically this conflict. You can be very mad. You can have the opinion that Joe Biden won't win re-election if he continues to hold this position. And you keep it all inside. (laughs) That's what you're going to do. That's what you have to do. If you are in a political campaign and you were trying to get somebody elected, your job is to move as one. You row as one. This is nonsense. This is just a bad sign. A bad sign that while things are not going well, you got people out here writing anonymous letters that works on the current campaign? Hachi machi. And, and by everything that I have read about Joe Biden, this isn't going to sway him. This is going to push him further. He's going to kiss Netanyahu tomorrow. Senator Bob Menendez is facing new allegations in a superseding indictment in New York. The latest charges accuse Menendez of making favorable comments about Qatar in exchange for valuable items. 
do, 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 including luxury wrist wristwatches valued between ten and twenty four thousand dollars. The indictment details an interaction where co-defendant Fred Dibes sent Menendez photos of watches while attending a Qatari government event in Manhattan. Subsequently, Dibes messaged Menendez about a Senate resolution favoring Qatar as the Qatari investment company considered a real estate deal with Dibes. By 2022, Qatar was offering Nadine Menendez, presumably a relative to the senator. Well, Nadine Menendez is, sorry, this is wrong copy. Uh, Nadine, Nadine Menendez was the, the wife of uh, Bob Menendez. Tickets to the Formula One Grand Prix in Florida. 2023, the Qatari investment company completed a joint venture with Diabetes worth millions of dollars. These charges follow a previous indictment from October, which accused Menendez of requesting the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate someone for not registering under the Foreign Agent Relations uh, Registration Act, FARA, for those who follow. This indictment spans from January 2018 to June 2022 and now includes these new charges, marking a significant moment as Menendez is possibly the first sitting member of Congress charged with conspiracy to act as a foreign agent. Just weeks before, Menendez and his wife faced allegations of accepting bribes, including cash, gold bars, and a luxury car from the New Jersey businessman. For the record, we have not had an official plea by Menendez on these new superseding charges yet, but he has pled not guilty to all the previously announced ones. Menendez, of course, furthermore, age 69, nice, has defended his actions, stating that his work as a senator in foreign affairs has been misrepresented by prosecutors. However, again, a search of his home revealed over $10,000 in gold bars and more than $48,000 in cash, much of which was hidden in various locations, including closets and a safe. How long are we going to go with this Bob Menendez thing? How long are we going to go? The Democrats just want him to go away by himself. They want to just hold your breath. Hold your breath till the primary. Hold your breath to the primary. Somebody's going to beat him in the primary. Long way off from now. Long way off. And finally, this is something that we're going to talk about at the end of this show. But just to give you a little bit more context, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey and 2024 presidential candidate, has dismissed suggestions that he should exit the race, particularly those from New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, whom he refers to as a friend. Sununu, during a CNN interview on Sunday, described Christie's bid for the presidency as a dead end. And later, in uh, uh, Sununu, of course, has endorsed Nikki Haley. Christie responded to this on various cable shows over the last few days including MSNBC's Morning Joe and CNN's AC360, emphasizing his commitment to staying in the race despite Sununu's comments. Christie criticized Sununu's support for Haley, accusing him of adopting a, quote, offend no one stance and alleging that Sununu's perspective has changed since he began working for Haley. Of course, Christie is currently polling at 3.8% nationally and 11.1% in New Hampshire, according to the 538 average. And Christie remains steadfast that he's going to focus on New Hampshire, even though 
It looks like there might be somebody that could beat Donald Trump. Just not him. And she might not be able to do it without him dropping out and endorsing her. Of course, Christie views the lack of Sununu's endorsement as a setback. He spent a lot of time. He is friends with Sununu. But maintains that suggestions of him withdrawing from the race just ain't going to happen. Sununu has never directly advised Christie to drop out, as implied that the former New Jersey governor should uh, acknowledge the apparent lack of momentum in his campaign and consolidate behind Haley if he wants to remain, quote, a relevant figure in the Republican Party. I made my promise on Wednesday's show, and I'm sticking to it, that Christie's going to drop out. Boy, does he sound like he's going to prove me wrong. He sounds like he's going to prove me wrong. I just, if we see it getting close, if we see it getting close, boy, it's going to be hard for Christy to face the music there. And I think other, there's going to be other voices that will ask him to step down. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is also my opinion. My opinion on that is you should go there. You should support this show. Thank you to everybody who does. Keep independent political journalism alive. This does not exist unless you guys make it happen. And I thank, thank, thank you for doing so. Three bucks a week gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. And a lot of those are going to be coming from Iowa and New Hampshire in January. From Las Vegas and South Carolina in February. These are the good months to be on the team. Join. Take politics seriously. Dot com. But let's go back to Nikki Haley. Because... This there's been a lot of conversation about McCain 2000, uh, and I think rightly because uh, she's not going to win in Iowa. But if she beats DeSantis in Iowa, that's that's a win esque. It is it is win win ish uh, uh, that that she'll be able to to tout something. No one believed we could do it, and yet we are. She yeah, Ron DeSantis has been here since January of 2022. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it'll be yeah, the, the, it the yeah the Coke machine sends its regards uh, to, yeah. to to the DeSantis campaign, and then they're on to New Hampshire. And if she can, I, I don't buy the idea that that she has a viable path if she places second. She's got to beat him. It's no. got to be no. it's got to be two one two one, and then now we're in a knife fight on Super Tuesday. But right. And even then it's an uphill battle. But but do you agree with me? It's yep. gotta be two one, two one that, that she's gotta be second in Iowa, first in New Hampshire, second in Nevada, first in South Carolina. That's the only move. Yeah. You you cannot beat Trump by coming in second place everywhere. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, at some point you gotta win somewhere. Um, I mean, this is what happened with Joe Biden, right? He was losing and then he finally got himself a big win, right? And then it springboarded him to Super Tuesday. With her, she's got a much narrower window because, yes. you know, Biden had, you know, a huge field. All right. So for her, she's 
got to beat him in New Hampshire. In fact, if she doesn't beat him in New Hampshire, it doesn't really matter what happens afterwards. It's no. really 2-1. It's not even 2-1-2-1. Two, one, two, one. It's 2-1. If yeah. it's not 2-1 and it's 2-2, two, two, she's out. She, That's it. She, yeah. she, she's out. I mean, there's no reason to go to Nevada. Um, you know, she can go there, but she's going to lose there. Um, she's got to win New Hampshire and it's the best place for her, the most, you know, she will have crossover votes. She can make the argument from an electability standpoint that the reason why she wins New Hampshire is because she's going to be the best candidate against Biden. Her winning New Hampshire says that because she brings people in. Um, if she loses New Hampshire game set match. You know, the, the Nevada caucus is during Super Bowl week when the Super Bowl is in Las Vegas. I mean, come on, what are we doing? Here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, what are we doing here? I mean, if you're in Nevada and you're like the secretary of state there, the probably the embattled secretary of state there. Yes. Um, you look at the calendar, you go, um, I guess we want to fly into the radar. I mean, what, what in the world are you thinking? You know, I mean, how can I devalue my early primary more? Oh, I'll put it during Super Bowl week. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, look, the the Nevada caucus has always been far more celebrated than it is participated in, uh, especially yeah. when uh, the unions aren't involved. The union tends, the culinary union tends to make it a very, very big deal on the democratic side. Not so much on the Republican side. Republican side. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, this one's going to be interesting. It's going to happen during, during the evening, as opposed to the day that it happened in, in 2020 for, for, for the Democrats, but it's, it's the Tuesday Super Bowl week. Now, Michael, that means it's going to be a particularly football themed Trump rally. Like, like, can oh. you uh, just a hall of fame lineup of, uh, of uh, football coaches of, oh, oh, geez, uh, everybody is going to be boy. The, 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 the yeah. measurable CTE on stage, uh, uh will be maybe oh. an all timer. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, it might get wild <laughs> in Nevada. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it'll, the Trump team will make it a big deal if they lose in New Hampshire, if they lose in New Hampshire, then Nevada is going to be gigantic. And they're going to say back on track the way it always was outside of the fluke States. I think you're, right. you're absolutely right. We're going to get a lot of the president McCain talk, uh, uh that, that, that's, that's, absolutely. that's what that is, but it does mean South Carolina is a knife fight. It does mean that we're going to get a lot of profiles on what happened to John McCain in South Carolina in 2000, the, the, the black baby push pull of phone calls, the, the, uh, dirty pool that happened there. I think that, yeah, that, ju- that sets Justin, up for a, gonna- an interesting, uh, the, the most interesting South Carolina primary since 2000, if it does break down in the way that, that it might with, with, with yeah, North, yeah, with, uh, I mean, if we end up New Hampshire. two, one, two, and we go into South Carolina and Haley doesn't drop out. Um, I would imagine that he's going to go at her like Vivek's going at her with her, you know, the name she was born with. I mean, he's yeah. going to start calling her that he's going to otherize her like, you know, like the Bush people did to, to McCain. Um, he's just going to do it with his own microphone <laughs> and not yeah. do it on background. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's going to get supremely ugly 
to the point where Haley won't be able to endorse him. He's going to go at her so hard. She won't be able to endorse him and, um, you know, walk away from it feeling like, you know, this guy, this guy came at me. He didn't just beat me, but he came at me personally. You know, he, he is one thing, but he's going to come yeah. at her ethnically. I, I he imagine he's going to do that. He hasn't gone after her, even as she's ascended. He's mostly used her in official campaign stuff as another cudgel to hit DeSantis. Like DeSantis has been the big target from the very, very, very beginning. Because uh, he's and, the only one who's really had a shot. Yeah. I mean, Haley hasn't had a shot. There was no point at which she was within 10 of Trump. She's inching up and taking over the Ron DeSantis slot, but she would need like, I don't know, eight more months before Iowa to catch him, right? At this rate. So the only existential threat to Trump has been DeSantis and he killed him. I mean, he killed him before he even announced. And honestly, that's what Obama did to Romney. That's what good campaigns do is they take out their opponent before they're even in the full swing of it. And so- the the bird brain stuff is is really soft core That's soft Trump, for right? Trump. Yeah, hardcore Trump is calling her by her given name and saying, you know, we need to check for her birth certificate. You know, like yeah. that. Once he goes full on there, then you know he thinks she's a threat. Okay. Yeah. If we get a two one one or a two one tie, yeah, in Nevada, then. All bets are off. He goes at her like you've never seen anything before. I mean, Nevada is also a weird state because, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden declared victory when he lost by 23 against Bernie Sanders because he came in second. So Nevada is odd. It is it is a weird place where you could pretty much write your own narrative. Narrative. Let me go back to something that you just said. 16 and 20. Both of those Trump campaigns, for whatever you might think about their uh, electoral utility, were slapdash. There was a lot of 16. They were building the plane in midair. 20. They had all the money in the world. They picked the wrong people. And it was a dysfunctional uh, uh, bonfire of cash from the very, very beginning. Uh, And it, it looks like now. They totally bungled and screwed up decisions on mail-in voting, a lot of real block and tackle stuff that they should have been doing a better job at from the very beginning. Are you surprised that Trump 2020 has been run like this professional kill squad? This is by far the most buttoned up that his campaigns have been compared to the other two, right? Oh, no doubt. I mean, you know, aside from the, you know, the off script stuff, which you would normally get, there hasn't been a strategic change back and forth all over the place. Like you saw with the first two, yeah. it has always been about knocking out DeSantis and always been about d- um, diminishing the field. Right. Yeah. He never engaged. He never w- went on debate. He always made fun of the people on debate stage. He always minimized, you know, the threats to him and that ended up being real. So, so far yeah. he's run a really good campaign. Yes. Okay. He really has. He's number one, he's beating the incumbent. He's beating his own field. The only real threat he's already destroyed. If he loses to Haley, he has a narrative coming out of there and probably an, an opportunity to completely wipe her off the map in South Carolina and not have to choose her as his vice president. Yeah. Okay? You know, he, he has all the things are falling into place, which is why 
there's something that he's going to do relatively soon that's going to blow this up because Trump can't get out of his own way. That's been his that's been the story of his entire career, whether yeah. it's in politics and business, that he can't he can't take good or even really great and not jump all over it. This is like what Rudy Giuliani used to say about himself. I'm really great in a crisis, but as soon as things are normal, I screw things up. Yeah. Now that was of course Twin Towers Giuliani, not, you know, um national landscaping, you know, Giuliani. Yeah, it's the not, same not, kind not, of thing. Not, not, you know, not, not Borat Giuliani. Right. Not for <laughs> Yeah. Hands off. Um but anyway, point being Trump will probably get in his way relatively soon. Unclear how that's going to happen. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if he just stays out of the way, there's this thing in campaigns, Justin, and I'm sure you've seen this throughout your, your views on this. The longer you're not a candidate, the higher your favorables are. Yeah. As soon as you decide to engage and go at the opponent and run a traditional campaign, everything starts dropping. This is what happened with Hillary Clinton. Everyone yeah. wanted Hillary Clinton as a candidate until they had Hillary Clinton as a candidate. Everyone wanted McCain until they had McCain as a candidate. You know, you see, you see people who didn't make it over the finish line. It's because when you are a defined candidate, all of a sudden you're, di- you're viewed as different. So for example, once we get through the primary season with Trump and whether that's in February or March, who cares? We'll All save. of a sudden, yeah. everyone's going to start looking at him as a potential president. That's a different view than just someone who's squabbling with his own party at this point. Yeah, we are of the same mind that this is going to be a deep, dark, cynical World World War One mustard gas and mud trench warfare uh, election because it, it's not going to be about defending or believing. It's going to be about brutality. And when when that's the only goal, there's not a lot of restrictor plates like there there was a quote. I forget where I saw it in one of the newsletters that it was a, a unnamed Biden uh, 2020, uh, 2024 staffer saying we're waiting to go full Hitler on Trump. And yes. it's like, yes. really? Yeah. We're not yeah. we're not there yet. <laughs> like like, like the, yeah. the, the, the dark. Yeah, the, the 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 red building looking like Emperor Palpatine saying that we need to defend the Republic against the rebels. That that wasn't going full Hitler. Okay, I guess it'll get darker. I guess it'll get it'll get even more cynical than this. See, the one thing if you're Biden, you're actually hoping that you get impeached at this point. Yeah, because it's really the only because then on you the map. can be on defense. You can be on defense too. Right. They're yeah. coming at me. You know, the forces of evil are coming at me. So the same thing is happening on Trump's side where, you know, the only way you can get Trump right now because he's not in office is through the, the courts, right? So they're coming at him through the courts. Well, they're coming at me again, you know, through, you know, these means that they have in the House. They have no, they've done nothing. And so they're going to come at me with this. They're coming after my kid. You know, they're going over. They're going too far. They don't have any evidence. You're going to see a month or two of that. It's going to lift Biden's numbers and you're going to go, huh, what has Biden done? Has the economy gotten better? Has this gotten better? No, it's just that they were attacked. And so they're going to rally around their guy 
um, just like they rallied around Trump. So you're going to eventually see, you know, right now Trump's ahead because he's the one who's been attacked more. As soon as this impeachment bullshit starts coming up, you're going to yeah. see it you know, equal. In fact, if I were Trump, I would tell the, um, Johnson, don't impeach Biden because that's the only thing right now that's going to lift up defense of Biden because they're not – they're not going to do that unless he's attacked by Republicans. Well, we got plenty of time so to luck. talk about so much fun. We got plenty of time <laughs> to talk about all of it. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be totally honest. The fact that there's even a path for anybody to punch Trump as opposed to him just bulldozing that right now, up until this week. And when you started to see the New Hampshire polls and, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, oh, actually here, let me, let me ask you this before I let you go. Chris Christie, does he drop out before yeah. New Hampshire? No. You don't think no, he does? He, he, no. No, because he his whole reason for being right now is that Nikki Haley hasn't said the thing. And so he's the only one who's saying the thing. And if, if Nikki Haley doesn't, then he but stays if, in. Even, he if, even if he's the spoiler, if she comes within his voting percentage of Trump. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. He, he's, doesn't he's care. Willing, he is willing to be the spoiler. <laughs> Chris Christie doesn't give it. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you've seen anything about Chris Christie for the past, I don't know, since Trump, since he decided to go full on never Trump, he yeah. doesn't care. He yeah. doesn't care. He doesn't care about Nikki. He thinks he doesn't think Nikki's going to win anyway. So he, yeah. he thinks Trump's going to win anyway. So he's just going to take whatever he can out of Trump. Hey, real quick before we go, we didn't talk yeah. about a few things. We didn't talk about the, okay. the Santos special. We didn't talk about oh, the no. Beetlejuice makeover. We didn't talk about <laughs> the left behind face off in Colorado. We didn't talk about Wexton's North Northern Virginia traffic jam. We didn't talk about the ten seven primaries. The, we the did. ones that are like APAC versus the squad. We have so much to talk about. Oh, God. And we can leave it for later. Yes. But, oh my God. I mean, we don't. We haven't even talked about Texas Toast. We haven't even talked about like Ted, Ted Cruz versus Colin Allred, who is actually a threat. Um, so, so you let's do that. Let's do that on the way out. And, and look, 2024, cool. Rich Fane. We got a lot to dig into whether or we'll not you're going to be yeah. sick of the, the the top line stuff. Yeah, you think Allred is a threat against uh, uh, against against Cruz? Yeah, because he don't He's not going to be chasing Vanity Fair. He's not going to be trying to be a fixture. Well, that, on that's MSNBC. a lot of money. The let, Beto raised a lot of money and came really, 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 really close. Yeah, but he lost because he's Beto. I mean, yes. candidates lose, not money. All right. If money won, then we'd have President Jeb Bush. We'd have President Ron DeSantis. Some of these people get the money because of who they hate. Right. Colin yeah. Howard can, can raise money. And he's also, I mean, he's a former football player. He's a relative moderate. Um, and by the way, everyone still hates Ted Cruz in Texas. They're looking for a reason to vote against Ted Cruz. Now, the problem is Trump's on the ballot. So yeah. you have a really high hill to climb. But that's yes. the one that I, I'm watching because I think Colin Alred is actually a professional as opposed to Beto, who's a, um, you know, he was born to do this. Yeah. Before he wasn't, and then he wasn't born to do the other things. You know, Colin yeah. Alred is actually running a real campaign. Beto, I, I, he was fun, but I, yeah. I, I think yeah, Beto, Beto is a phenomenon though down here. Bet, Beto, like he lit up the places that you need to light up to win as a Democrat in Texas. Like, like you, you cannot have a meh 
reaction from where I live in Austin, the suburbs of Houston oh, and Dallas and, and all that. Those, those areas. You, you, yeah. have, you have to blow them out. And Beto was a tell your friends Beatlemania level phenomenon in those areas. Now, I think he made fundamental when when he is voluntarily wading into whether or not Colin Kaepernick should be kneeling problem. Like you're still running in Texas. And then he runs for president and he says, he's going to take everybody's AR 15s. And it's like, well, okay, well then, then now you've, you've congratulations. You played yourself. You're never going to be able to win in Texas. You might as well relocate to Berkeley. It'll be a better shot yeah. for you to, to gain elected office there. All red. I, I don't know. I, I will say this. I actually have some off the record uh, 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 gossip from inside the cruise uh, machine. Uh-oh. They are not worried. In fact, they they oh, they think it's as equal that he doesn't him. make it out of the primary as it is that he has a shot against uh, against them. So, well, I mean, far far be it from me to get in the way of the Democrats shooting themselves in the foot again <laughs> in the primary. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, that's yeah. the other the other I mean, the other problem about Texas Democrats yeah. are. Uh, and this is stuff that I've, I've plugged in a little bit with some of the, the democratic, uh, uh, operatives down here in Austin, their biggest problem is that it's a lot like Virginia. Youngkin got on that ballot because they played a little, uh, uh, funny business at the convention to make sure that he right. was the guy on the ballot. Uh, it's a similar situation down here. Phone. Yeah. The, the, the people that are really dialed in to vote for the Democrats in Texas are way far left than the people that you need to eventually talk to, to vote for a Democrat in Texas. And so can somebody like, look, you're, you're, you're dead, right. In the general football player, not that much of a progressive Ted Cruz is really unlikable. Remember when he was going to Cancun during the ice storm, a lot of, a lot of stuff that's there, but can he survive Okay, well, Colin Allred, are you calling for a ceasefire right now in Gaza? And if not, you're disqualified. Those are the kinds of votes that are going to really matter in the primary. So we'll see. Yeah. And again, I mean, you know, how bad do you want to win? Or do you just want to be, you know, who you are? So you know, you know, party activists (laughs) of all stripes. The answer is we yeah. just really want to yell. The answer is we uh, want to win the argument in this room right now. We don't actually yeah. care about winning in, in November because cynicism is built into the position. Yeah, it's the heart wants what the heart wants. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially now with, you know, fewer and fewer people, you know, a tighter group of people um, in primaries who are actually actually participating. Yeah, you're really not getting too many crossover votes. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's just my, I don't know, I hate Ted Cruz too, you know? I mean, that's what well, it comes down to. You know, I, I'd love to see him actually get a race as opposed to blowing up some, you know, ultra lefty, you know, who doesn't believe anyone should have he, guns. But here's, here's, the, here's the other thing you know? is like Ted Cruz has been eclipsed in terms of the firebrand category. Like we, yeah. we we're already like five firebrands away from Ted Cruz. He grows a beard. He does, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll talk in longer sentences. Now he's, he's not the same kind of pitchfork guy, at least in terms of his public persona. Uh, uh, I think the Ted Cruz strategy is like, this is, this is a Republican versus Democrat election. Ted Cruz is going to have his beard. He's going to make sure he doesn't go to Cancun in January. He's 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 going to uh, uh, he's going to shovel other people's houses. 
He's just going to keep it nice and quiet, make sure that all of this uh, uh, returns to form. Trump is very popular in Texas. He's going to ride those coattails and then we'll see you in six years. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll see you. Check you in 2030. That'll be that'll be I think that that is that is that is the Cruz strategy. Yeah. And, you know, what? Cruz is much more likely to stay on his game than Trump is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That is an absolute fact. And it is always a delight to have Michael Cohen on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Uh, Where can people find you? I could find me at um, Mm michaelcohen.us or at Cohen Research Group. Or if you're on threads, because I've gotten off Twitter, um, it's at at Michael Cohen. And I'm still at Twitter at Michael Cohen. So if you want to DM DM me, but I'm not posting that. There we go. All right. Thank you very much, man. Absolutely. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show is edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to thank Mr. Michael Cohen for coming on the show, it is px3guest.com. Send me anything you'd like in the email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find clips from the show and uh, uh, other commentary at px3tweets.com that's us on twitter justin r young is my personal account on the x you can hear me streaming live px3live.com that is on twitch and then of course you can share this podcast with your friends family clergy px3podcast.com look there's a lot of people that are supporting us on patreon we thank you for that but you can also send me a one-time donation and we have gotten a lot of them recently. If you got a little money in PayPal, chuck me five, $10, something a little more if you're interested. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash and you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. PO Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Now, you can only get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. That's our Patreon. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these five folks on the Titanic. Ten dollar tier. Hello, ye old pinball shop. John, DP4, Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy, and Vogue Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checker, Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley Steven, Nomadic Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy. Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Jen, D-Really, Andrew, Gloria, my mom, Neemeister, Jay, and Devon, the CFP. If you want your name read at the end of that, then you need to head over right now to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. First weekend of the new year. I hope you guys spend it well. I'm going to be knee deep. Ooh, we're going to get some polls. We're going to get probably this. Ooh, is it going to be this Sunday or next Sunday? We'll get the Ann Seltzer poll, the final Ann Seltzer poll 
in Iowa. Can we see that Nikki Haley path? Got to be 2-1. Got to be 2-1. 21, 21. That's what Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley should be playing nothing but 21 Savage on her bus from now until New Hampshire. I'm pumped. We will be here for all of it. Till next time, this is your friend Justin Robert Young reminding you some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only that talks about all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.